Welcome to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. I'd like to thank you folks for joining us here at the Crude Life Week in Review. Of course, we have the Crude Life Daily Update. And then if you go to our website, The Crude Life, we've got interviews being posted all the time. They're called podcasts these days. Apparently, if you do an interview with somebody and you put it online, that's a podcast. And if you do a radio show, that's a podcast too. So the word radio seems to be out of the millennials' vernacular. been replaced with podcast. So that's what we're doing here. We do the Crude Life Week in Review. Every week we get together and we put together some of our best interviews of the week some of the best information for you, and some of this the downright good conversation we have about the crude life, what it takes to live, breathe, and work in the oil and gas industry. Sometimes life can just be crude. What do we got on today's program? William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, with our weekly Davis Refinery Update. Things are moving along there. Anna Hafner with the Kill Deer Area Ambulance talks about a $15,000 donation from Marathon Oil which went to some hydraulic cots, uh, upgrades, well, I should say up-to-dates. It's kind of funny when you say the word upgrade when really what you mean is up-to-date because sometimes, you know, the certain criteria you need to have, certain regulations you need to have in order to have an emergency response unit or to have certain things that people need to rely on. And so uh, thank you very much to Marathon Oil for donating $15,000 so the Kill Deer Area Ambulance Services can update slash upgrade some of their equipment. And we have Ann Hafner on to talk a little bit about that and volunteer emergency services, relationship with some of the other like firefighters and the police and challenges with rural America when it comes to emergency services and just volunteerism in general. Plus, Joel Brown mineraltracker.com but he's going to speak on behalf of mckenzie county job development authority they're talking about single family homes there's some funds available if anybody wants to invest or maybe build a house they want your body and your family out in mckenzie county watford city usa at the heart of the bakken shale play joel brown mineraltracker.com it's a two-for-one interview coming up a little bit later on and hafner Killed your area ambulance services. And this week, William Prentice with our weekly Davis Refinery update. And let's get to him right now. This is William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group. You know, we get these stories once in a while, and, you know, people are out there looking for things to report about. And so when somebody files another appeal or something like that or expresses a concern, uh, people are, people know that there's an interest in hearing about the Davis refinery, so you'll get a story. Um, I kind of look at it as an opportunity to tell our side again. Uh, so, yeah, I, I get kind of tired of going over the same points all the time, uh, especially <laughs> when it's, you know, it, it, like a, this recent appeal on the air quality permit. Um, you know, we get frustrated by that, and I just wonder why, you know, the same set of facts needs to be looked at over and over and over again. But again, you know, it's another opportunity for us to brag about how clean this refinery is. Uh, it just recently came up that, you know, somebody was very concerned about air pollution at, at the park. And, you know, I nobody paid attention when we brought this up the first time a couple of years ago, but it's very simple to run the numbers and determine that air pollution from the 
you know, 700,000 or so cars that visit the TR National Park every year, that air pollution is by far greater than the air pollution that will be caused by the refinery. Um, people are astonished to hear that, but it, it gives us an opportunity to put it in perspective that, yes, this is a brand new kind of refinery, and it does not emit even one-tenth of the emissions of any other refinery in the country on a per-barrel capacity basis. Um, it's more like the amount of pollution from uh, seven or eight uh, uh, pump jacks out in the oil field. Uh, it's just a very clean plant, and uh, we can prove that it's that clean. I'll tell you, um, I think the oil and gas is in a very unique position right now in, in, in the timeline of everything because, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, the oil and gas industry has been in a tough position because they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. They're one of the kings of the economy. And so the big guy always gets picked on if they're trying to do good or whatever. And so um, the way the <clears throat> the way environmentalism has gone, the, the, the drive behind it is I feel so confident in saying it's now gotten to a religious status to where you have enough people blindly following it without really giving any depth of thought behind it to where you actually at the remember the Dapple protest, there was rubber bullets fired and the um, the old veterans got on the other side. So you got, you know, m military type environments so that the, the holy war drums are beaten type thing. So when I look at it, though. The reason I say it's become like a blind a blind type following is a lot of these protesters are not actually trying to help the planet. They're just pointing fingers and <clears throat> pointing at problems and, you know, drinking Keurig coffees and texting on their iPhones and driving their electric cars. Electric cars are powered by coal. iPhones take about 28 rare minerals that, you know, that mining on the earth is not, you know, that type of thing. So... The whole new wave of environmentalism is based on just ridiculousness, in my opinion, to where I think the oil and gas industry has a great opportunity right now to say, we're the only ones saving the planet. We're the only ones trying to help the planet because everyone else is just pointing fingers and not doing anything about it. So I, 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 like, I love what you guys are doing because this is one of those examples of here's the oil and gas industry truly saving the planet. Because you know as well as I do, what's going to happen is this is going to have a reverse ripple effect, and you're going to see a lot of refineries over time, say over the next 10 years, implementing roots and seeds of your guys' technology into their plants. Am, am I out of line for saying that, or is that kind of what you see? You've been in this business a long time, and they constantly seem about self-correction in my mind. Well, you know, I... Yeah, I've been in the energy business my entire career, and I've not always been proud of the facilities I've worked on. And that was part of what I wanted to accomplish here at Meridian and, and the rest of my colleagues here. We want to do this in, in the right way, and, and we consider ourselves uh, missionaries, if you will, that you can take the, the uh, conventional energy business and make it green. Um, you know, it's one thing to be in here swinging and trying to make things happen that are that are going to clean things up. And it'd be nice to get some advice and help once in a while. And then, like you point out, you know, you get a lot of people that observe what we're doing, and 
men jump in their SUV to drive to a meeting to call us a bunch of criminals for building a refinery. Um, you know, it just, it, it lacks credibility. And I think a lot of the people that we are hearing from as opponents are somewhat hypocritical. It's been my view looking at what we're going to do to change this industry, that if you are an environmentalist and you do not support this refinery, you're a hypocrite. Uh, we're going to be making it necessary by, by building this plan. That was William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is The Crude Life Week in Review. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. And your baby blue eyes. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, Ann Hafner with the Kill Deer Area Ambulance Service. Ann Hafner, Kill Deer Area Ambulance Service. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. Uh, first of all, we're going to talk a little bit about a donation that you've received. And if you want to mention other donations, too, you certainly can. But... Uh, first off, let's start with the donation. Uh, recently, I saw on social media you guys received a nice uh, donation during a, a community appreciation night. Can you give me a little more information than what I'm just uh, reciting off of a social media post? Uh, sure. That donation was a $15,000 donation we got from Marathon Oil um, to help us replace one of the hydraulic cots we carry on our ambulances. Okay, so there's actually a specific need for the donation, huh? Yeah, yeah, they, um, they've been really good to us, Marathon Oil has, and they open up a, a donation for us just, just about every August I've applied for the last six or seven years, um, and they've always responded positively. They've given us uh, close to $100,000 in donations since I've been here. How's the oil industry been overall outside of Marathon? Has other companies been stepping up and, and donating to the uh, Kildare Area Ambulance? Um, we have some regular donors who have been very supportive. Um, Hess, um, from their affiliate, Hess Bakken Services, um, helped us purchase an ambulance. Um, they've, gosh, they've given us uh, similar amounts, pretty close to $100,000. Um, we have uh, XTO Energy, 
is very faithful. We receive some, some money from them every summer. Um, ConocoPhillips, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of them, WPX. There's a lot of oil companies out here that uh, are helping us, but none as substantially as Marathon and Hess. One of the things that the crude life likes to point out, and correct me if my numbers are wrong, uh, I was just corrected in Wyoming last week. Apparently their numbers are 93%, but generally nationwide, 85% of of firefighters are volunteer. And I think that's true with emergency services for the most part when when you start talking about area ambulances and that sort of thing. Talk to me a little bit about the volunteer side and if you do know what some of those numbers are when it comes to your organization and maybe even some of the you know firefighters too. I can tell you about our organization. I, I can't speak to you about the fire departments in other towns. I can tell you that West Dunn Fire Department, which is the one that serves our area and most of Dunn County, um, is all volunteer. Um, Kildare Ambulance is, is probably about half and half. Um, Right before the boom started, the ambulance service was 100% volunteer in Kildare. And as uh, the new oil jobs came in town and the community got busier and busier, um, it was hard to get volunteers, and most of the volunteers we had here aged out. We have a very difficult time um, getting a lot of volunteers, and we wouldn't be running at our current level of service if we had to rely specifically on volunteers. Um, For the state of North Dakota, I can tell you overall volunteerism is down. Every time I go to a regional or state EMS meeting, they're talking about how volunteerism is down and how the ambulance services are going to continue to function at the levels their community wants them to be at without the volunteers. So more and more services are becoming combination services like ours, which is a combination of career personnel and volunteer personnel. And the emergency services, what is that? Or you're the ambulance service, area ambulance. has. Is, is different than the fire department? Do you guys have the same uh, buildings, separate buildings? I, I'm sure every community is different. Talk to me just about the um, relationship, I guess, with the emergency services, because I'd imagine out in the rural areas, you guys probably, I mean, talk a little bit. Oh, yeah, we do a lot with West End Fire Department. Um, some of the firefighters are also ambulance volunteers. In, in Dunn County, um, the uh, ambulance service and the fire departments function separately. We're both um, uh, tax, uh, tax, taxing entities in the county. Um, the voters were really good to us several years ago when they formed taxing districts, ambulance and fire taxing districts. We're both run by boards. They're separate boards. Um, the boards are elected from the community. Um, but we do a lot of things together, even though we're funded differently. Uh, we have to be able to work together or, or it w- we wouldn't be able to function. Um, from what I know, most of the rural ambulance services in the state of North Dakota are separate than the rural fire departments that serve the same communities. Yeah, I think you're right on that as well. I know that they were looking at some some emergency substations, if you will, kind of where they would share in certain areas, especially out in the Bakken when you get into some of the rural areas. And, you know, you have some sort of geographical challenges. Talk to me about your geographical challenges you have. I mean, I've interviewed people to where you know, they, they've been in an accident and they wonder if it might take 45 minutes for an ambulance to come, that sort of thing. Talk to me about some of these challenges you guys have out in the rural areas. In, in western North Dakota, especially the McKenzie County, Stark County, Dunn County, uh, Williams and Montreal, uh, the areas that encompass the, the badlands and all the oil, um, the terrain can be very difficult. Uh, you know, most of the highway, highways are two-lane highways. Um, a lot of the surface roads are still scoria gravel. 
Um, the terrain can be rough. We have, you know, believe it or not, mountains in western North Dakota. They're not big mountains, but um, it can take a long time to, to get to some of these oil field sites. It can take a long time still to get to some of the ranches um, where, our, where our community members live. Um, one of the biggest problems we face here in Dunn County, though, is the nearest hospital is, is in Dickinson. And uh, if from, from the front door of the ambulance service to the doors of the emergency room, it's about 36 miles. Um, so it's about 45 minutes. When we go further out north to where most of the oil wells are, uh, we're going to be going an hour, an hour and 15 minutes just from picking up that patient to getting to the hospital. Um, so it requires us to have uh, very good equipment, very good vehicles, um, and highly trained personnel because we're probably going to be one of the ambulance services that has to give patient care, pre-hospital patient care, uh, longer and more in-depth than, than the other ambulance services. You mentioned some of the difficulties in obtaining volunteers, getting volunteers, or just that the trend is going down. Is there... Are companies be becoming less um, open about volunteerism? I always heard that, you know, a lot of companies would be okay if their employees would, you know, miss some of work or would at least work with some of the volunteer organizations. Is is that changed or is it just that people are more busy with work? Do, do you know anecdotally or is there any, I guess, official reasons why the volunteerism seems to be down? Uh, no official reason, but... Uh, when the oil started out here, and like I said, I can only speak to Western North Dakota. Uh, when the oil started out here, the people that had lower paying jobs left and went to work in the oil fields. And those guys are working, you know, three weeks on, one week off. Well, when you work a 14 or 16 hour day, three weeks in a row, um, and you only have one week off, your chances of wanting to spend a lot of time volunteering for the ambulance service are, are pretty low. Um, the, uh, as, uh, time goes on, the care we're required to give requires uh, much more highly trained uh, ambulance staff, and that takes a lot of time, and it's a lot of expense, too. So people just don't have time to put in the hours that the ambulance services require to meet the needs of the community. That being said, though, um, we have a couple of, of employers in town that do still allow their, their employees to take ambulance call, but those, those uh, uh, businesses are short of personnel because a lot of their personnel left to work the higher-paying oil field jobs. So they don't always have the staffing anymore to allow that person to go out. They don't want to close their business down so somebody can take an ambulance call. And it's going to take us a minimum of two and a half, three hours to do just a trip to Bismarck, to, to Dickinson and back. So there's a lot of factors that are, that are pushing that volunteerism down. How can people volunteer? What are some of the expectations that people should have if they're considering volunteering? Um, we can pretty much, if you've got a, can pass a background check and you have a North Dakota driver's license and there's a desire to come in uh, and work on the ambulance, you, something you've always wanted or you think you might be interested in it, we can put just about anybody to work as a driver. We can provide the training for them for that they would need to be on for two to $300. That's not a great expense to get a driver, but when they want to move up and, and get more training and more training, you know, just at EMR level is about 60 hours of training. An EMT level is probably 150 to 200 hours of training. Um, if you want to be a paramedic, that's about uh, 13 months, 14 months. So it, it just depends on what everybody wants to put into it. Um, we have volunteer opportunities at every level. Uh, we would take a volunteer to come in and help us do Phi Lake. Um, 
wash ambulances, you know. Uh, there's something for everyone if they've got the time and the desire. And that was Ann Hafner with the Kill Deer Area Ambulance Services. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is The Crude Life We Can Review. In Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. From apartment to apartment, state to state, and it doesn't really matter where I go. There's only one place I could call my home. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we talk with Joel Brown with MineralTracker.com, but this week. He's speaking on behalf of McKinsey County Job Development Authority. Joel Brown, President, McKinsey County Job Development Authority. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. Of course, in a, um, a day job, you're, you're also with MineralTracker.com, and I do want to ask you how that's going in a moment or two, but we should probably find out uh, the, the news at hand, if you will, and there's always breaking news going on in Watford City these days. So let's just start off with a general update from the president's standpoint of the uh, McKinsey County's Job Development Authority. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. The, uh, the Job Development Authority is the uh, branch of, the, of McKinsey County that is really focused on economic development. And so we're an appointed board, uh, largely of business leaders, uh, community leaders in Watford City and surrounding communities in uh, McKenzie County. Uh, we've got representation from Arnie Guard and Alexander throughout the entire county. Uh, but our, our focus and what we're really concerned about is how do we take McKenzie County to the next level economically? How do we keep this train moving? Um, we've got a tremendous opportunity right now with uh, what's going on 
in the Balkan with the uh, the opportunity that we have for um, increased workforce, for increased industry, for uh, increased GDP. Uh, it's pretty incredible what we have here in McKinsey County, which uh, was, you know, 20 years ago is a much smaller population base than we have right now. Um, and so, yeah, the, the big news recently uh, from the, the JDA standpoint is we just launched a housing subsidy, a housing development subsidy program that's going to be aimed at addressing what we see as the number one issue hindering economic development in McKinsey County today, and that's lack of affordable single-family housing. Can, can I ask you a question, just a sidebar on that? Um, and I don't know if you're qualified to, to answer this or not, at, at how deep this goes, but when I, I, I've heard the term affordable single housing now for a number of years, and have we, have we got a definition of that? Because obviously that, that's going to be different in Dickinson and Williston than Watford City. Do you know what I mean? Have you guys landed on what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, I, At least what we've seen is kind of the benchmark is we've got a tremendous amount of people that are waiting in line right now approved for FHA loan. Uh, FHA loans are uh, the, uh, um, the, the loan program through uh, – um, it's a federal loan program aimed at helping first-time home buyers typically uh, purchase their first home when they may not have the credit history necessary to do it, and they may not have the down payment um, of up to you know 20% of the total home sale value. So what we've what we've set as the benchmark for an affordable single-family house is uh, something that's going to meet that FHA limit, which right now is approximately $315,000 in McKinsey County. And the fact is that those houses just don't exist in this market right now. We've got a lot of people that could take advantage of this great federal program here uh, to move out an apartment into their first house and plant some more permanent roots here in McKinsey County. But the the market for houses that meet that uh, FHA loan limit, uh, they just don't exist. I was talking with Pat Young from Patlock yesterday uh he's a uh what i think he said is 101 main street i think he said was his address he went ahead and just <laughs> threw out his address and he said anybody looking for a job we're hiring you know type of a thing i don't know do you know pat at all uh no i don't know pat young okay no, well go, go down and say hello to him tell him uh jason Spees from the crude life and the multimedia cafe said hello he's right on main street pat lock uh, safety services great story roused about that figured out a new way to make the uh uh, oil industry safer and save some money and like the oil industry does they seem to enable opportunity instead of uh, entitlement and so they he, he went ahead he's got a business in, in main street down in watford and uh it sounds like uh he he just said you know some of the quality of life changes that he's seen over the past year and that that was my transition question um um but i i wanted to of course i guess give some context with just yesterday i talked to a a gentleman who lives in Watford and has a business there. And, you know, he mentioned a few of the businesses that have popped up in the past year. Uh, from your perspective and your quality of life, has it increased in the past year? Oh, absolutely. I, I, um, I'm from Watford City originally. I grew up here. Uh, my wife and I moved down to Denver uh, right after we got married when we were newly married. And uh, we always wanted to come back. And it was incredible when I came back after having been away at college for a period of time, living in Denver for a period of time. I came back and Watford City was a completely different town than it was when I was growing up here. 
And the, the great thing is I, I enjoy it so much more. We have so much, I mean, aside from just, you know, economic opportunities that we have here, the quality of life opportunities that we have here are just tremendous. I mean, I don't, I would, uh, I would challenge you to find another community the size of Watford that has a, uh, a Rough Rider Center-esque event center um, or a high school like we do. Uh, if you look at the restaurants that we have, a, a city the size of Watford City has the second, uh, the second biggest microbrewery in North Dakota. I mean, it's so there's a lot to do here. It's a really young, fun community. It's uh, our number one demographic is young families, which uh, my family uh, gets included in that demographic, too. And so it's a really energetic, fun place to be with a lot of uh, opportunity and fun things to do, a lot of people to connect with. How about on the education standpoint? Uh, you mentioned you live there, so this is, seems appropriate enough. You're, uh, you've got MineralTracker.com as a business, so you're a small business owner, and you've also got uh, act, active roles as president, job development authority, uh, McKinsey County. So I want to ask you about the schools. Uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor, former mayor of Watford City, Brent Sanford, I, I still chuckle at the interviews him and I did through the years in the early Bakken days where the kids were using outhouses and, and you know, and, and, and the, the most important part of that story is everyone was okay with it. There wasn't anybody that was trying to get the health police in there and make it into a front page story. The locals really said, you know what, this year my kid might have to use an outhouse and sub-zero temperature, but at the end of the day, we're going to have a nice, gorgeous facility. Do you know what I mean? It, it just seemed yeah. like that was so refreshing that the community really embraced the change and the momentum and saw the bigger picture. Is that still the case going on there, especially with the education side of things? Definitely. What we have here in McKenzie County is so unique, I think, throughout the entire state of North Dakota. And like you said, we're certainly not complainers. So we understand that there are growing pains when you go through something like we have with Bob. Um, but I think this community is, uh, they're, they're able to adapt really well. And you're right, they, they keep their eye on the big picture. They see where this is going. I mean, so just, uh, we just recently uh, approved bonding for another elementary school. Um, it's going to be a tremendous facility. And we approved, um, if, if necessary, to go and get bonding for a third elementary school in the future, if, if that's going to be necessary, which our projections show that it very likely will be. Um, so, and I mean, aside from that, you know, we've, we've done some pretty creative things as far as, uh, even further education beyond, uh, primary school and, uh, goes. So one of the things that we've launched through the JDA is, uh, the, the skills initiative program and the skills initiative program is, uh, it's pretty unique. It's, uh, creative. Um, but what it's done is it's brought university of Mary Williston state college, uh, train ND, uh, small business development, all under the roof in the Rough Rider Center. And now we're able to offer college classes. We're able to offer certification classes, uh, safety training, uh, whatever it is. We've brought all of that into the Rough Rider Center as a way that uh, we want people to be able to be educated here, um, even even beyond high school. And so I, I think there are some really tremendous opportunities going on in McKinsey County right now as far as education goes. How about the oil industry itself? Um, there's companies that have, uh, sounds like at least starting some offices around there, some service companies that have kind of moved in a little bit. But, you know, Watford City really, when you probably look at 
20-year uh, snapshot is going to be the town that is going to forever be studied by social engineers, by civic engineers, by just, just the amount of growth that happened from the sewer to the new pizza joint. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it, it is. It's amazing from every aspect you look at it, you know, um, even from the civic side of things. What, what we, you know, kind of circling back to what we originally are talking about here, which is the these uh, incentive programs that you guys are now doing for housing, you know, to... Mm -hmm. Talk about this is another one of those changes that's going to be studied for a long time. I used to say for a long, uh, for the beginning of our programs from back in 2012. Mr. Joel Brown, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. In just a moment, we'll continue the conversation with Joel Brown with MineralTracker.com speaking on behalf of the McKenzie County Job Development Authority. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Week in Review. All the memories come falling down on me Every time I roll back to town Every time I roll back around Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you will let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Speece on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Speece, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Speece. You can run from the wintertime in the midnight black. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Joel Brown with MineralTracker.com, speaking on behalf of the McKenzie County Job Development Authority. That right now, um, the Bakken is going to be read about in our grandkids' history books. Mm -hmm. That's how that, that's what's going on right now, and it's exciting to be a part. And from my standpoint, not only is it exciting to be a part of it, but to actually be allowed to have some documentation through the process, you know, to maybe even get something picked up and put in those history books to make a dent in history. Do you guys ever look at it like that, that you guys are part of this historic process? I, I say that all the time. I say that what we're going through in McKinsey County right now, it feels like the, uh, the California gold rush. I mean, it's such a, it's such a unique situation that we have with the number of people that have come here and how you know the community of Watford City the community in McKinsey County has had to adapt to that how we've had to grow uh, make changes as far as infrastructure goes make changes as far as quality of life goes and now with uh, with this housing program I mean what we're really trying to address here is that this industry needs to be fed workforce if we want to continue to grow we need to provide people that are able to work in the oil field 
And back in 2008, when things really started to kick off in North Dakota, the rest of the country was in a very depressed state. I mean, unemployment was high at that point in time. There was a lot of economic uncertainty throughout the country, but the Bakken was booming. So you could come up here in your pickup and get a job, and that was, that was it. Today, we don't have quite that same opportunity because we have low unemployment throughout the entire country. And so what we're trying to do now is find a way to use our competitive advantage, which is the, uh, the growth production tax that gets kicked back to McKinsey County from the state to leverage that to keep supplying workforce and keep growing the base of what we have here in McKinsey County. So it's, it's interesting. The number, the two, the two uh, issues that we've heard facing the oil industry in North Dakota right now, first off is flaring regulations, and uh, second is lack of workforce. And so this is something not just hindering development in McKinsey County, but throughout the entire Bakken. And I think what we're trying to do to uh, address that is pretty unique, uh, fairly aggressive, fairly creative. Um, we're excited to see how it's going to work out. One of the things that we've gotten political on in this program, and we're a non-political program, by getting political is we're just raising the question of more of a pontification, if you will. And so <laughs> I'm going to throw this your way because you brought up the word flaring. And I, don't, I know in North Dakota, I think it's 12, 13 months in a row now that we've missed the date or we've missed the, the target that we've wanted to get. Down in the Permian, they're actually paying people to come take the gas away because there, there's so much that's getting flared out. Um, we, we're trying to have a conversation. What, what would a world look like if we took, so, say, 50% or whatever, 100% of the subsidies that wind and solar are getting, and we shifted that towards natural gas? And the reason I say that is because this is a solvable problem. And the energy industry is taxed pretty good. I mean, you know, the, the, I think in North Dakota, we've got 11.5% or something like that, and it's one of the higher ones in the nation. 10% and, right now, and it is, yes, you're yeah. right, it's one of the higher ones in the So, so they, they get taxed pretty well. And there's a lot of fees and a lot of regulations and a lot of that type of things that they have to follow, so that adds up the costs. And then there's that new legal, new norm that they got to go through, so they got the added legal costs for every time they want to do something. And then they, want, then they always make sure that the church has got a bake sale. They always make sure that the kids <laughs> have got Little League uniforms, so at the end of the day, the energy companies don't have a lot of money for R&D right now. They just don't. And I wondered what a world would look like if we shifted some of those subsidies over. So, you know, the, the crazy guy up in Canada that's mining bitcoins off natural gas. What, what, what if he got a little, little bump, you know, and the guys that are living on the well sites, checking monitors and, and trying to make sure methane is at a certain level. So the turns into liquid at an efficient rate. You know, if, if the they, they got a little bump, that sort of thing. I think that we'd have greenhouses growing blueberries in no time. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> well, I, I like I like where your mind is going. I mean, anything that we could do to lift some of the burden off of the oil industry, you're right. There is probably not an industry with a higher bar to entry than getting into oil and gas based on the regulation, based on the taxes. And it's just it bears the burden of all that and then does. I mean, the oil industry has been incredibly generous to McKinsey County. Um, there are some really great people representing large oil companies out here that are, are plugged into the community and then they're able to use their position in their company to make sure that, yeah, we've got funding for great things in this community. I mean, and so I think if there were a way to lift some of the burden um, off, the, off the oil industry, 
uh, that would be great. And I think you bring up an interesting point in trying to address this very specific issue of what are we going to do with this natural gas? Because what we're doing right now, I mean, it's it's an issue not only of capital investment, but human investment, because putting in pipelines is a very labor intensive job. And we lack workforce right now, back to the original, you know, back to our original issues. So beyond even being able to just throw enough money into solving that problem, it's being able to throw the right number of people to address it as quickly as we need to. Um, and so it's, a, it's a complex issue. Um, that was a big message at the conference too. younger people like us, you know, because, you know, good looking guys like us, you know, as young as we are. But, um, you know, we're kind of socially engineered to think one thing. And then until you get into the industry, you start to realize how valuable the opportunity is. I don't know. I'm uh, sorry. I get on my soapbox at times because I, I, I really do enjoy box. this industry a lot and the opportunity it gives. So um, how's your business doing, Mineral Tracker? It's doing, it's, it's doing, it's doing great. Uh, mineral tracker is just, it continues to build and build. We're uh, adding users every single day. I mean, and really what's exciting about that is that with every user that we add to mineral tracker, we're really opening the eyes of this, this broader group of mineral owners in North Dakota who have kind of been rushed into this entire industry, uh, almost unbeknownst to them that they had all this oil and gas under their feet. And all of a sudden, a very important part of their income, an important part of their life, uh, they have almost no insight into how they are actually making making the money that they are. And so with Mineral Tracker, I mean, it's incredibly simple to use. We uh, we launched a, uh, a freemium version is what we're calling it, uh, the basic subscription, so that if you're a mineral owner and you're only maybe collecting, you know, 50, 100 bucks a month off of it, you, you still have the ability to go and see how, how, how is that 50 or $100 going to change over time? Uh, it, am I still getting paid correctly on that? Where are my wells? You know, so you, you, there's no, there's no uh, cost bar to entry now to get into Mineral Tracker. And that was Joel Brown with MineralTracker.com speaking on behalf of the McKenzie County Job Development Authority. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit TheCrudeLife.com. That's TheCrudeLife.com. Check out our social media, 350,000 social media followers with the Crude Lifes and the YouTubes and the Twitters and the Facebooks, all those different social media accounts. Go to thecrudelife.com and click on the social media tab. That's going to do it this week for the Crude Life Week in Review. I'd like to thank William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, Ann Hafner with the Kildeer Area Ambulance Services, and Joel Brown with MineralTracker.com speaking on behalf of McKinsey County Job Development Authority. Thank you very much for joining us this week here at the Crude Life Week in Review. We'll be back next week on this radio station at this time. If you're streaming us on the internet or maybe you've downloaded one of our podcasts like on iTunes, thank you very much for choosing us as part of your weekly, daily, or moment-to-moment content. From the staff here at the Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies asking you to savor life. And enjoy the spice. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. With construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, 
and then you will let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 